morning. Surprise, I'm not Todd. So it was Friday morning. I woke up and checked my email, and Andy sent me an email and said, Todd's not feeling well. Can you speak? And I was on vacation, and I thought, maybe we'll get Randy to do it, you know. And I thought, well, Randy just did it, you know. And so normally I like to say, look, let me sleep on it. I don't know something about the way I do it. If I sleep on it, I usually get quiet at some time during the night or in the morning, and I can get some kind of word from God. But this I don't have time to wait a day because I'm already in a two-day crunch. So I said, Lord, I need, you know, I want to know that you're in this. And, And so normally I wait until I have one day to pray about it, but kind of in a hurry here. And my project lately has been reading through the Old Testament in the Hebrew. I have an interlinear Bible, which is in Hebrew, it's bold, and underneath small print, it's English. So I can struggle through reading in Hebrew, and when I come to a word I don't get, I can look at the English. It's a very slow process, but I enjoy it. And so I said, Lord, you knew before the foundation of the world that I was going to be asked to speak here. I'm surprised you're not. You know where I would be in my Bible reading, too, right? So I said, I'm going to read the next chapter that is in my reading, and I hope that you'll speak to me in some way confirm that, you know, I should speak. So it happened to be Psalm 40. And it's funny, I got Psalm 40 all marked up, except for the, the verses that jumped out at me when I read it on Thursday morning. And here's, so I'm asking, Lord, should I speak to the church, right? That's my question. Here's what verse 9 and 10 say. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great congregation. I Indeed, I did not restrain my lips, O Lord, yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. So like three or four times in that two verses it talks about, I have not kept quiet, I have spoke. To what? The great congregation. And that was my prayer. Do I speak to the congregation? It's like, so God in his wisdom can use the word. Like I said, I didn't underline, that didn't speak to me the 40 times I read it before. But on that day it did. And so I want to talk about kind of that very principle. In, uh, in American language, we have one word for love. So if you ask a guy, do you love your wife? He say, I love my wife. What else do you love? I love my new socks. And it's like, really? I mean, you use the same word for those two? But that's what we're stuck with in English. In Greek, there's four words, at least there's more, but there's four that occur in the New Testament for love. It's a love between a man and a woman. It's a love between friends. It's a gape love. It's a family. So all these different ways to describe. And if you... Read it in English, you won't be able to see what's behind the verse. Remember the story where Jesus uh, is de- Peter denies Jesus, and then after the resurrection, he comes to Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And there's this exchange three times, right, in English. Love, 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 back and forth. But in the Greek, it's, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with God's love? Peter's response, I phileo you. I love you like a friend. Peter, do you agape me? No, I phileo you. 
Finally got Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? <laughs> yes, I phileo you. And so you would never see that in the English. So in the Greek, there's two words for the word word. And as you can imagine, that's a pretty common word. It occurs 400 times in the New Testament. But behind those 400 times, it could be two different words. 330 times, it's a word you probably heard of, logos. 70, which is not a lot compared, but still significant, it occurs a word called rhema. Two different words, but you'd never note it, because it's always going to say word 400 times. But behind it in the Greek, there's a deeper meaning. So, as a way of illustrating this, I want to ask probably the dumbest question ever asked in a Baptist church. Should we do what the Bible says? People are a little bit suspicious. He's up to his tricks again. Should we do what the Bible says? Should we follow the example of the men and women of old in the Old Testament, for example? Most Baptist church people would probably say, of course. That's a stupid question. Okay. Based on that statement and your answer in your mind, I'm going to ask you two sets of questions. First set of questions are, have you built an ark 450 feet long? How about, have you walked around Jericho 13 times and yelled at it? To the men, have you married a prostitute? That was a command in the Old Testament. If you know Hosea, chapter 1, first command. How would you like to be called the prophet? Say, Lord, I'm ready. What's the first command? Marry a prostitute. So, I'm guessing to those questions and others that I could ask, like, have you dipped in the Jordan seven times? And you have said no, 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 no. Now I'm going to ask you another set of questions. Have you restrained yourself from killing people? In other words, have you obeyed the command, don't murder? Hopefully, you'll say yes. Have you obeyed the command to not steal? Hopefully, after you came to the Lord, at least, you could say yes. Have you honored your parents? So I could go through all the commandments. And you say yes. Well, how is it? that you said no, 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 no to my first questions and yes, 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 yes to my last questions. Why? Because the first set of questions fall under the category of rhema. A rhema word is a specific word that God commands, but it's a command given to, most of the time, a single person at a single time for a single event. Noah, build an ark. Did God tell anybody else to build an ark? Should we all read that Bible and go, oh, i got to build an ark? We don't have time to build an ark. It took a 100 years to build an ark. None of us would live long enough. So there are certain commands that are in the category of rhema that they should be obeyed, but they're not applicable to everybody. There are also certain commands under the Logos category Ten Commandments, for example, that God expects everybody to obey. He doesn't say to one group of people, don't kill. Jews, you can't kill. Gentiles, go ahead. No, it's the same rule, right, for everybody. 
And it depends on uh, the application here. So I'd like to go through a few examples so you can get an idea of the, we'll jump to the New Testament. Remember the story? We all know it. Uh, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, highly favored one. You're going to conceive and give birth to the Son of God. What's her response at the end? She says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. English, 400 times in the text, the word. Well, which one is it? Is it Logos or Rhema? Is it a Logos word that's open to anybody to believe and receive? Or is it a very specific word that it's only going to happen one time through one person? It's not available to every virgin in Israel that's from the tribe of Judah. She said, be it unto me according to your rhema. So that was a rhema word spoken to her, not a logos. It wasn't a general word open to anybody and everybody. Peter had fished all night. He had given up. You know, sometimes you fish and you just don't catch anything. Right? Some of you have fished and never caught anything. (laughs) So he's going to give up. And he's going to the shore. And what does Jesus do? He says, launch out into the deep for a catch. And Peter, he could have been proud and say, you know, I'm the fisher. Jesus, you're a good preacher, but what do you know about fish? Right? But the Bible says, after he explained to Jesus, I've told all night we caught nothing. This happens when you do fish and stuff. Nevertheless, at your word. Which word is it? It's a rhema word. It's not, there's not a, te, a, a verse in the Old Testament. Any fisherman is guaranteed if you go fishing and launch the deep, you get a hatch, catch. No, this is a one-time rhema word. And we know the story. He does it in spite of his discouragement and failing all night. And was, he gets so many, he can, he has to call his friends to carry the load of the fish. So again, a rhema word came to him. So how about the story at the Red Sea? Israel surrounded by the Red Sea on one side and the Egyptian army on the other. They cry out to God and God commands Moses, specific command, stretch forth your rod. The sea parts. And if Israel believed that it would stay parted, which they did, they crossed on dry ground. How did that happen? Because God said it. If any of us go out to a river with a stick and do the same thing, is it going to work? No. Why? Because God didn't say it. But the real, I think, the interesting point of this story is after Israel passes through without any harm, what happens when the Egyptians tried to do the same thing? They drowned. Why? God didn't say for them to do it. He told him, his people to do it. It's different. So there's words that are like that. Other words, the Bible says, call on the Lord and be saved. Who's that open to? Anybody? There's other words that are specific, and they're not to be taken literally. I mean, when I read, the first time I read, the angel appeared to Joseph and said, flee to Egypt. It never occurred to me that I had to do that. That that's a rhema word specific for him at that situation. There is a, a as you study, go 
there's a principle there maybe. Lord, maybe there would be a time when my life's in danger and the Lord gives me an instruction like, don't drive to work that way today. There's going to be danger. Or don't get on that plane. So you can learn something from the verse in principle, but he's not asking you to build an ark or to flee to Egypt. He's asking you to listen to his voice. So Matthew 4, 4 says, um, Jesus is having this confrontation with the devil. And, and the devil says, turn the stones into bread. And Jesus replies and said, man shall not live. We know the verse, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Which one? It's Rhema. How about this one? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Rhema. See, if faith came just by the Logos, by reading the Bible, the Jewish leaders in Israel would be the most incredibly powerful group in Israel at the time of Christ. They were Bible experts. They had, you'd be embarrassed if you had to play Bible trivia with these guys. They had basically the first five books of Moses memorized. They could not tell you the big stuff. They could tell you the third person in the genealogy of some weirdo. So, But what did it produce in their life? Did it produce life? No. It produced pride. Can you imagine Paul before his conversion? Here, Here's... He's like the top tier guy, right? Because he's not only, he's not a Sadducee, which are kind of loose in their theology. He's a Pharisee, the most strict. And of the strict, he is the most zealous. I mean, he thinks, it's not like, you know, we think, you know, here's my belief, but I don't push it off on anybody. But Paul says, no, here's my belief. And if you don't believe what I believe, you should be killed or thrown in prison. I mean, this is a radical guy. And what did it produce? What did it come from? He has supreme knowledge of the Word of God with no intervention of the Holy Spirit in his life. And here's a verse that kind of shows Jesus is arguing with the, the Pharisees and the, the legalists who knew the Bible inside and out. And here's what he said. He who is of God hears God's words. What Which one? Logos? Which they knew? No. He that is of God hears God's ramas. Therefore you do not hear, for you are not of God. No wonder they were a little perturbed at Jesus, right? So Jesus is saying, as he said, I heard there was a lady on... Early morning, so he said, I'm afraid of the people that say, like, God speaks to me. And there's probably millions of people in America that go, oh yeah, you're one step from the loony house if God speaks to you. Well, do we go by what she said or what Jesus said? My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. Jesus said, if you're of God, you hear him. He speaks to you. He quickens the word. So knowing the word alone doesn't guarantee that you're hearing from God. It could mean that you're just accumulating Bible information. 
They, the Jewish leaders had no relationship with God. They had this religious system, but they didn't know God. They never heard from God. So we have this tendency, you know, when we first come to the Lord, I knew nothing. I was, you know, I went to the a Presbyterian church a couple times when I was young and I, I didn't, they didn't teach the gospel and I don't even remember it. In fact, when somebody asked me in high school, have you ever been to church? I said, yeah. And he said, well, which one? I said, pedestrian church. And he's, you know, that's how much I knew about the Bible. And so when we come to the Lord, we have God whose ways are, he says, are totally different than ours. And yet we're born again in our spirit, but our mind is still thinking contrary to the way God thinks. And this happens to the best of them. Look at Samuel example. He's told to go to this uh, town of Bethlehem to the sons of Jesse, eight sons. And there's one that's going to be the king of Israel. And what does Samuel do? He goes there. And he scans the sons, and there's only seven of them there, because Jesse presumes that David isn't king material. Let him keep the sheep, right? And he scans, and he looks at Eliab, and the Bible says that Saul of Samuel says to himself, surely it's the Lord's anointed. Firstborn, probably in his 30s, prime of his life. He's in Saul's army. He has experience as a warrior. He's a shoe-in, right? For sure. And what does God say? God intervenes and stops him and says, no, no, no. Don't look at the outward appearance or his stature, because I look at the heart. So one by one they pass through. No, no, not you, not you. He turns to Jesse, are these all your son? He says, well, no, David's, you know, with the sheep. Get him. We know the story, right? So here God picks the most unlikely person. Of all the sons of Jesse. And this is kind of typical when God speaks more time, more often than not, you won't see the person respond and say, Oh, that's what I was thinking. Oh, that's a good idea. What did Moses at the burning bush think of the idea of being a deliverer? He tried six ways a Sunday to talk God out of it. I'm slow with speech. I'll be with your mouth. I can't talk very good. I'll have Marin help you. On and on. Finally, he so desperate says, All right, my last one. Just send somebody else. That's when God got upset with him. So when God speaks, it's usually not something that we're thinking. God warned us. His ways are higher than us. How much? A little 2%? Make a small? No. Higher is heaven and the earth. Different. How would you like to be Gideon? No military experience. God calls him. Mighty man of valor. You probably look behind him. Who are you talking to? Can't be me. God says, you're going to lead Israel to victory. He doesn't believe it. You know, he flees on, flees off, questions God. Finally, the subject of the army goes up and says, oh, I'm glad you brought it up. We're going to talk about the wrong size of my army. I only have 30,000, 32,000, whatever it is, and the enemy has 135,000. And God says, yeah, well, we're talking about the wrong size of your army, but your army's too big. I mean, that's the most illogical thing I ever heard. He's outnumbered four to one, and God says, you got too many? Well, finally, we know the story. When God gets down to his finish, how, what are they now? 450 to one is the odds. How does this work? It only works because God said it would work. Would it work 
if a general said, whoa, I'm going to get 300 men. I'm going to give them a torch. I'm going to give them a trumpet. And we're going to win every battle we fight. What would happen? They'd probably get beat up. Because you can't duplicate what God says when it's a rainbow word. So our mind is constantly working against our heart. Remember the story of Ananias? The Lord called him and said, Ananias. And I mean, this is spectacularly clear instructions. Ananias, go to a street called Straight. Inquire of a house of Judas. In the house, you're going to find Saul of Tarsus. And he's praying. And in a vision, this guy has saw a man named Ananias, that'd be you, come in and pray for him, and he's going to receive his sight. I mean, if I had instructions that clear, I'd go, no questions, let's do it, right? But what does Ananias do? He's, I mean, it's innocent. He's kind of like, will it ever happen in eternity when God gives an instruction to man and man replies with some reason why that's probably not a good idea that God is ever going to say, you know, I didn't think of that. So he says, that person has done a lot of harm and he's not nice. And in fact, he has letters of authority to arrest people like me and I can walk right into his hands. Go, God says. And what happens? Exactly as it, it said. Can you imagine? Saul is praying after seeing this vision and Judah answers the door and said, Hey, there's a guy named Ananias that wants to talk to you. Bring him in because I want to see you again, right? What a miracle. So we have this contrast. God says something, army's the wrong size. Yeah, it's too small. No, it's too big. What? Go, the least likely convert in all Israel was Saul, right? This persecutor of the church. And yet he sends Ananias to witness to him. He's already been brought to the Lord. He's going to be baptized and have his sight returned. So I've, I've, I've said many times, I've, it sounds pompous, but I've never missed God by more than 18 inches. That would be the distance between the head and the heart. So the mind is going all the time. We all have a tendency to think a certain way. We look at, two people look at the same situation and come up with completely different answers to the problem. So there, I'll give you an illustration. One in January, of course, it was when my well pump went out and I'm having to struggle finding anybody to work on it. And they send this rookie guy that's on the phone constantly. I'm paying him a hundred bucks an hour, by the way. And he's, what do I do now? What do I do now? You know, and I'm upset. And he comes out there and says, well, you don't even have power. Your well's fine, probably. You just don't have power. And I go, I checked it yesterday. And so my mind is going like this. I'm paying this guy a hundred bucks an hour. And he says, I don't have power. And what do I do? I go, my neighbor's an electrician. He's retired. How logical an answer is that? So I get on the phone, Keith, Keith, you know. So he gets, it's going to take me a few minutes, but he comes over. Now, all the time that my head is running wild, in my heart, the, the stillest small voice is saying, fuse. Fuse. And I'm thinking, I checked the fuses yesterday. I'm not having this guy out for a hundred bucks an hour and find out I just got a bad fuse. The fuse is fine. It's just like, push that out. 
having an electrician as a neighbor is the answer. And all of a sudden, my, my friend showed up, and the same time the technician said, my bad. I go, what? He said, I had the fuse in backwards. The fuse, there was two fuses in a tray, and he pulled it out, put it down. Yeah, it looks okay. Picked it up, and put it in backwards. The Holy Spirit knew that he put it in backwards. But what did I do? I'm in control. I have a neighbor's electrician. And besides, I checked the fuse yesterday. It can't be the fuse. See, the Bible says he gives you a word of knowledge. I wish the Bible says, and he gives you complete knowledge. But it's just a word. And where does the word come? I love these two Proverbs I'm going to read here. Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. So if the light goes off that you got a problem with your well, is it going to be get the electrician or check the fuse? Is it going to come from the light going to go off in your head or in your heart? In your heart. Same same chapter in 20. Um, counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. The man of understanding will draw it out. So it takes time. And usually you have to get quiet. And which means, for me, that's why I like to sleep on it. Because that's the only time my mind stops working long enough to get quiet. And then the word can bubble up. The word can come to you. Because it's not going to come from your head. It'll eventually, hopefully, get to your head. But that isn't where the first place where it will show up. So we can have this tendency, God speaks, and we can, we seem to have a pretty good argument why God's not exactly right, you know. Can you imagine Philip, if he wasn't the spiritual man, he's leading a revival in Samaria where hundreds and probably thousands of people are being brought to the Lord. I mean, he's signs and wonders. I mean, it, this whole town is in an uproar wherever he preaches. And the angel of the Lord, I don't know if he appeared physically, but the Bible says the angel Lord spoke to him. Go to the desert. Go to the desert? I'm an evangelist. There's maybe one, a few people, mostly rodents in the desert. Why would I want to go to the desert? It seemed like, you know, he could have argued, he said, Lord, maybe it's the devil telling me to go to the desert. But he's a spiritual man. He recognizes the voice of the Lord. He goes to the desert. He gets to the desert. There's kind of a lesson here. When does God give you the second instruction? After you do the first one. And does God speak to him, his second instruction, by an angel? Which we like the repetitive pattern. No, he speaks. The Holy Ghost tells him, join yourself to this chariot. So we like to turn God into a system. I remember... My early days of missionary work, I came back for a furlough and I needed some money and I prayed and like a day or two later, I got a check in the mail. And I thought, this is awesome. I got the system down. You need money. Step one. Step two, you pray. Step three, you go to the mailbox. God is not going to turn my mailbox into an idol. Guess what? It never came the same way. And that's so typical. So Philip goes, leaves a revival in the city. He could have had a complaint that I'm reaching a lot of people here, you know. But what happens? He reaches one guy. But who's the one guy? 
the guy in charge of all the money in Ethiopia. What's the Ecclesiastics say? Feasting is for fun, wine's for merriment, but money answers everything. Who has the most control? It's not necessarily the guy at the top of the pyramid. Remember the story of Joseph? Who's the top of the pyramid on the org chart? Pharaoh. Who's in control really though? Joseph. They came to the Pharaoh after the famine started. So what do we do? What did the Pharaoh say? Top guy in the church. I don't know. Talk to Joe. So many times, it's not the guy that is the highest up. And so what, back to the story, what is God up to? He's not reaching the city. He's reaching the nation. Why didn't God explain that to him and make it easier? Why doesn't God give us full detail? Then it would be sure easy to obey him, wouldn't it? He's not going to do it. He is probably going to tell you the least amount of information you need because that would take you the most faith. Now, here's here's a story that was a hard lesson for me. After I'd done my 10 years of missionary work, moved back working in compute with computers, I felt like, man, I just, for 10 years I was busy doing the Lord's work and it was so awesome. And now I'm going to church once a week and I just felt like I was worthless. And so, I, Lord, I need something to do. And so I was praying, and I got a call from a friend that says, I'm starting a nonprofit, and you, you came to our mind, and we want you to be on the board, and we got the whole team put together, but we need a computer guy, and you're the computer guy. And I go, whoa, prayer's been answered. I knew the guy. I've been praying. It's in a ministry for a nonprofit with the burden I had. I had like five or six good reasons to, to join but I said, you know, let me pray about it because I think it's appropriate, even if you have your own want-tos going on. And it's funny. So during the day, I think about it. I had scriptures to back what I was doing. There were friendships. I was the guy with the talent they needed. It seemed like a perfect fit. But I noticed at night and in the morning when I wake up, I wouldn't, I'd have this like uneasy feeling about it. Now, I didn't know the verse that's uh, Colossians 3.15. It says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. If you look in the Greek, you could actually translate this way. Let the peace of God be your umpire or your arbitrator. Who gets to decide between two different choices? The umpire. You know, you can't let the pitcher call strikes. Why? Because he'd call strike every time he threw the ball. You can't let... One football team called the penalties, or they'd call the penalty always against the other team. You have to have an umpire between two, right? So here I have a choice, join or don't join. I have five good reasons to join, and this thing, no peace. And I thought, well, logically speaking, if I have like a scale, you know, five weights on this side to do it, and only have peace on, lack of peace on this side, well then, you still go with your head. would make sense. Logic. And I wrestled back and forth and back and forth. And finally my head won. I didn't know the verse. Let the peace be the umpire. And as usual when you make a bad decision, initially it looks like you made the right decision. Remember the story of Paul saying, don't go on this voyage in the ship? And they decided, well, we're, you don't, you're a preacher. You don't know what to do about shipping. And initially, when they started, the wind blew softly and said, they thought, yeah, see, Paul didn't know what he's talking about. Then what happened? Well, 
that would happen with me. This nonprofit blew up, and because of the situation, it all fell on me, and it was like the most miserable year of my life. And I could have avoided it with a 30-second conversation that went like this. I would love to join. I think the work you're doing is fine. But apparently I'm not the right one because I don't have peace. So you should find somebody else. How long did that take me? 15 seconds. It would save me a year of pain. I mean, an incredible, awful year of my life. Because I didn't follow the rule. Let the peace of God decide. Where is it here? Where did I make a mistake? My head, thinking. Well, it's scriptural. All that junk. It don't matter. Uh, Several years later, I met a lady, and the same thing happened. This lack of peace. I did not walk. I ran. I had learned my lesson. I don't care if I have a hundred good reasons to invest in something or do something. If God takes away that peace, I'm gone. And I think it would be good advice for any of us to follow. So, as we read through the Bible, we read the Logos, and we should. You know, I figured out that if you only read the Bible for 12 minutes a day, you could read through the whole Bible in a year. 12 minutes. Not a big sacrifice. (laughs) That's right. I'm taking forever. But I'm not as slow. I, I, I was... Reading through Exodus, the same time we were studying Exodus, and it says, Todd, I'm slow, but not as slow as you are. So, it's good to stay in the Word, because it's during those times where the Logos gets to become a rhema, perhaps, for you. If you said, if I told the evangelist and a uh, church planner to read through the book of Acts, both of them come back, and I said, which ones jumped out to you? Probably the evangelist says, Philip, that guy rocks. Did you see the way he's evangelizing? Miracle, you know. And if you talk to the church planner, he says, No, it's not Philip, it's Paul. He's the church planner, you know. Why? The Holy Spirit speaks to us out of the Word based upon our calling. And things that, when I read through the book of Acts, it was Apollos that jumped out at me. The teacher. He's eloquent. He's knowledgeable. He's accurate. He's bold. He publicly refutes these Jews that argue with him. And that would that would be the normal process. So let me talk about a story of a transformation from Logos to Rhema. It's called the Emmaus Road. Remember the story? They're dejected. Two, I think it's two or three guys are leaving Jesus. As far as they know, he's dead. And we had hoped that he was the Messiah, but now we're, they're on a seven-mile walk. We're getting out of town. In the story, Jesus appears, right? And he first he rebukes them and says, You are slow of heart to believe all the prophets. Shouldn't the Messiah, the Christ, have suffered before he's entered his glory? Isn't it clear? But the, the Jews had cherry-picked the Bible, like I guess we do at times, where they picked all the awesome Verses about the Messiah, he'll conquer and rule the world from Jerusalem. Awesome. But what about Daniel? He'll be cut off. What about David? He'll be dead. But he won't be dead long enough for his body to see corruption. They could have known, but they, they didn't. He, he rebuked him because you don't believe everything in the Bible. You just believe what you, the portions you want. But as he walked, can you imagine? I would love to have a tape recorder and walk with them. 
How would you like to have Jesus for two hours, probably a two hour walk, seven miles, to unveil from starting with Moses and all the prophets, every verse about him. It's not like Jesus saying, now I'm thinking this might, no, it's him interpreting it. No error. That would be the most fantastic sermon. I don't care if it's two hours long. To hear Jesus' interpretation of every verse that he revealed. And what did the disciples say at the end? These, they knew the logos. They knew the facts. But here they are discouraged and defeated. They are so excited. The Bible, they said, remember Jesus disappeared in the breaking of the bread. They said, didn't our hearts burn within us? That's the rhema becoming alive from the Logos. That's the Holy Spirit. When you read a verse a hundred times and nothing speaks to you, and then one time you read it and boom, it jumps out at you. And that's, I think, what God wants to do. You know, a lot of times we we say, you know, if I ask a Christian, does God speak to you? You say, well, you know, they they put it in the context. Burning bush... A voice and trumpet at Sinai, angel here, transported to heaven. No, no. Most of the time, God doesn't speak that way. He can. I did, a, I think, a message one time. I forget what it was, 40 or 50 ways God could speak to you. And some of them are, are like obvious, reading the Bible, God can speak to you. God could send a prophet. You know, we like that one, the holy guy. You know, but God has spoken in so many different ways. You know that God used King Necho, the pagan Egyptian king, to speak to Josiah? The guy who's supposed to be the holy guy? Necho said, I'm going, don't bother, I'm not bothering you, I'm sent by Elohim, he said, to fight this other person. But Josiah wanted to fight him anyway, so he disguised himself. He didn't listen to the word that the king spoke. And after this was all done, Josiah died. And it says, and Josiah died because he didn't listen to the word of the Lord that came through King Necho. God can speak through a pagan. God can speak through a jackass. God can speak, you know, Jonah, when remember he disobeyed God, arise and go, and he rose and go the opposite direction. He got a boat. He said, I'm going fishing. Yeah, you're going to get one. And what is he? The storm comes. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. He says, it's your problem. What's going on? He says, well, I'm disobeying God, and it's without a doubt this storm is because of me. The storm spoke to clearly to Jonah. God didn't have to tell him. He knew the storm was his God telling him, you're not being obedient. And the guy was so honest, he said, you know, the only way to fix this is throw me overboard. You know, if I knew that, I would just keep my mouth shut. I don't like the water. But he's telling you, yeah, you, know, you can just throw me overboard. And they did. They kind of begged God, don't hold this against us. But over he went. So God can speak in so many different ways, but we have to be listening. David's success, I think, happened because he had this tendency, even though he's a king, and tendency to be obvious confident guy, runs toward the giant and killed him, that he always said, bring me the ephod, which is the priestly garment that a priest would wear. You know, one, uh, Saul had killed all the pro, uh, priests in Nob, and one escaped and came, and he was like David's right hand. And every time they fought a battle, what did David do? Bring me the ephod. Ask, he's going to ask the Lord. He's looking for a rhema. Generally speaking, 
The Logos said, David, I'm with you, whatever you do. But specifically, when the Philistines came, he'd say, Lord, what do I do? They'd fight. One time he beat up the Philistines. They went, regrouped, came back to the same location. The temptation would be, oh, I'm going to do the front attack again like we did if we won. But David said, bring me the ephod. What did God say? Do it again? No. He said, come around behind him. Ooh, the reverse ambush. Yeah. He says, but don't move until you hear sound of the mulberry trees. He gave him a different plan and a timing because he asked for it. So, how many people in America do you think know John 3.16, the Logos? 330 million people. What do you think? 200 million maybe? Could quote John 3.16? Well, if the Logos alone produced a person to be born again, then we would have 200 million Christians, right? But what is the breakdown Maybe 200 million know, and how many have been born again? What's the difference? Somebody like the Pharisee heard the Logos. Yeah, yeah, I know a fact. Now I can quote it. If anybody asks me, what is God like? Well, God loved the world. He gave his son. You know, it's like if you went into your stockbroker and he said, man, you should buy this stock. It's the most awesome stock in the world. I would sell everything I have and buy it. I'd ask him one question. How much have you bought? And if he said, well, none. Well, guess what? I don't believe anything you say. There's a big difference between saying the Logos, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, great teacher, whatever, and making that commitment to him and asking him into your life. And as you read through the Bible, I'm not saying you should throw away your Bible, sit in the corner and wait for a voice. Who was one of the most, you know, we always, I like to use Jesus' as an example because he's always the best example. But we always have this thing in the back of our mind, well, he's a son of God, he's sinless, I can never attain that. So I'd like to find the second best choice of a regular human being so that you could say, well, well, maybe I could do that. And I'm thinking, who is the guy in the New Testament that was kind of like the low-level guy, but lived powerfully. And I would say it was Stephen. Now, the Bible says that he was arguing with the Jewish leaders, and the high priest made an ultimate mistake by asking a guy full of the Holy Ghost and power, are these things so? He asked him a question. And what happened? Without preparation, without saying, hey, give me a week, I'll tell you, instantly... Stephen recites the entire history of Israel, beginning with Abraham. He goes through, boom, boom, every, you know, I mean, not obviously everything. But he spins, without stopping the whole flow, all the way ends in Solomon. Goes through the whole history off the top of his head. Did this guy know the Logos? Absolutely. But was he like a Pharisee? Kind of a pompous, proud? No. He was asked to be a table waiter. What did you do? Sure, I'll do a table waiter. So his title, table waiter, but if he had this light is full of faith and power, did signs and wonders amongst the people. He was apostolic in power. God was speaking to him about different things. And yet, he was humble 
and serve God. So he knew the Logos incredibly well, but he was also inspired by the Spirit. You know, Jesus himself, you know, when he came to the cripple at the pool of Bethesda, did Jesus grab the Old Testament and go, what does the Messiah do when he comes across a cripple in Bethesda? No, it's not in there. He couldn't. He knew the overall that he would demonstrate great power and healing, but he didn't know specifics until he came across the situation. Apparently, he was hearing from God. This is the time. How many times do you think he passed that cripple at Bethesda? Why that day did he heal him? God told him to. Why did he have to go through Samaria when it was a crooked route to go up the Jordan River, Jordan Valley? The Bible says he had to go that way. It didn't say why. How much did Jesus know when he came to the woman at the well? Oh, is this the reason? Or did he already know? Did God tell him, you have to go this way because you have to meet the woman at the well? We don't know. But within the context of the Logos and his assignment, he was getting ramas on what to do in every situation. You know, the, the Bible's not going to tell you who to marry. The Bible's not going to tell you where to work, what house to buy, what car to buy. No, it isn't. But the Bible can give you wisdom so you can make decisions, and that's what we have to do. You can't hope to look up the Bible and find all these specific things in your life. So Stephen would be the best example. His life would say, study the Word until you got it down so much that you don't need you can just go through it like he did. Beginning at Abraham. That, that's one of the best chapters to read for a new Christian who wants to get kind of the history of, of the nation of Israel. Because in one chapter, he goes from Abraham to Solomon. It's awesome. And yet, he wasn't a man just like a Pharisee full of knowledge. and uh, It's above my pay grade to serve tables. No. He was a humble man. And he was listening to the Lord. Faith comes by hearing the rhema. Not necessarily, it's not automatic. You read the Bible, it doesn't automatically mean you're going to get faith. You may just get information. But if your heart is open, there's going to be times as you're reading, and it, most of the time the Word is going to prod you to change your life in some way. How many times I've woken up at night and said, you know, you need to do this more often, or you need to stop doing that so much. Conviction comes from the Word. If you're growing, you're hearing. Back to what Jesus said. He that is of God hears God's ramas. God should be, is speaking to you. Are you listening? And the more you study the Logos, I think it's like tuning the radio. The more you study the Logos, read through the Bible, you'll start to hear the rhema. God will be able to speak. It's on His Why? Because the Word of God is on His frequency. And we need to get our heart into his frequency. Renewing our mind, the Bible says, that's how we are transformed. Because then we, our mind starts to think more like God. And when he speaks, we hear it more often. And instead of calling the electrician, you'll check the fuse. And it will save you a lot of headache. Listen to your heart. Where does God turn the light on? The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Where does God speak? Here, where it's hopefully it eventually comes, deep water, draw it out, it comes to your mind. You go, whoa, I didn't think of that, but that's a great idea. 
I think that would happen every time you hear from God. Even when he tells you to do something that doesn't make sense. Just do it. I bet you $100 don't hold works out better than your best plan. You know? He's probably smarter than you, you think? Let's pray.